1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Walk in the light. Those who know the real Jesus, remember last week we talked about the real Jesus, will be walking in the light. Now the theme of 1 John is this. Every, every Sunday, every time we talk about 1 John, you're going to hear about the theme, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not a question that you may know that you have eternal life. Now how do you know that you have eternal life? Is it a feeling? Ooh, I had a feeling that it... No, it's not a feeling. I think it's as you live your life out, it demonstrates that you have eternal life. And John actually says this very strongly. He confirms that we have eternal life by our conduct, how we're acting, how we're walking in this life, how we're living this life out. First John is combating the Gnostics. And remember, the Gnostics had special revelation, special insight, special enlightenment that only the few had, the Gnostics had. And they had a skewed view of, of what the body was. Remember, the Gnostics believed that the body was evil and the spirit was good, so that you can do whatever you want with your body. What happened is some people would beat their body. You see people today that whip themselves and, and, and you know, the flagellation, and you see the guys in the Philippines that during the cru- they crucify themselves and that sort of thing. That is, that is a Gnostic view of beating the body into submission. But the more popular view was ignoring the body. Since the body is irrelevant and the spirit is everything, we can just ignore the body and do whatever we want. That's the American view. <laughs> That's the American. You just do whatever you want. Immorality is permissible. Who cares? Nothing matters. Nothing. There's no wrong because it's the body. Both these views are wrong. Both these views are wrong. The Gnostics also had a skewed view of Jesus. They, they viewed him, they viewed him not, he was not a man but a spirit. He only seemed to have a body. And this would be a test question if we were in a Sunday school class. If he'd only seemed to have a body, that word is called Docetism. Docetism means to appear or to seem. So at Jesus' incarnation, he really wasn't the Son of God. He was just a, just a human who at some point the Spirit came into him and the Spirit left, and it's all kind of skewed views on Jesus that the Gnostics have. It is wrong. John addresses this Jesus not being here really in the body. He dresses it head on. And last week we saw this in verse 1 and 2. We saw John said that he looked upon him. Our hands have handled him. We touched him. Jesus is real. He is, was here. We handled him. In verse 3, he says, the real Jesus, we declare to you. We tell you who this real Jesus is. We make him known to you. That is our job as Christians, to make the Lord Jesus known to those around us. If you love people, you will make Jesus known to them. Somehow, some way in the conversation, you'll get Jesus in there. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by him. And if you love somebody, you will tell them that truth. 
This real Jesus we declare to you, that he is the Son of God, deity. He is the Son of Man, humanity. And amazingly, Jesus wants to have fellowship with us. How do you like that? He wants to have fellowship with us as humans. Koinonia, remember fellowship was koinonia, community, common life. God is building a family. And the only way to be part of that family is to believe that Jesus died for your sins. And then to live a life conformed to the likeness of Christ. Our whole, once we're born again of the Spirit, once the Spirit of God dwells within us, our journey becomes more and more conformed to Jesus and less and less like the old us. John is very strong on this. Remember, everyone that comes into this world is dead in their trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2.1. There is nobody, every baby that comes into this world is dead in trespasses and sins, no matter how wonderful and lovely they look. And that is why in John 3.7, Jesus says, you must be born again. The Spirit has to be given life. You must be born again. You must believe and receive Jesus as your Savior, and the Spirit of God will come in and indwell you and give life to your spirit. When our spirit has life, it allows us to commune with our God. When your spirit is dead, there is no community with God. It has to be brought to life. You must be born again. Now, once you're born again, again, it's a lifetime journey of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Real Christians are changed by the real Jesus and become more and more and more like Jesus as life goes on, as we yield. It's a matter of yielding to the Spirit. Those who cooperate with God, cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the process of growing, growing, are given a promise. And last week that promise was seen in verse 4. Now this is only for those who are actively engaged in growing. And that promise was this, that your joy may be full. Isn't that nice? Even while we're here, our joy may be full. Remember the word? Palero. Overflowing. Cram full. Not just a little itsy-bitsy joy, but cram full of joy. But that's only for those who are in the process yielding to the Spirit of God. Remember, if, you're, if you are a baby, if you are a carnal Christian, you stay in your carnality, you're never going to experience the fullness of God. You must, you must cooperate with the Holy Spirit and grow in the grace and knowledge. Then your joy will be full. You know what that means? No matter what comes at you in this life, and there's lots of stuff coming at us, would you agree? Lots of stuff. It comes to, from the right. It comes from the left. It comes from the top. It comes from the bottom. It comes from the front. It comes from the back. Bam, 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 bam. And sometimes we can get discouraged, and it's easy to say, what is this Christian life all about? But if you are walking in concert with the Spirit, the Spirit of God will speak to your heart and say, I am with you. I, Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is viewed as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will take us through the fire. Remember, we don't leap over it. We don't go around it. We don't duck under it. He will take us through the fire. That is what he promises us. So those who know the real Jesus, those who are really changed and their life is demonstrating it, this week we will see that they do something very, very important. Walk in the light. That is what we're going to be talking about this week. Live your life in the light. Walking means your life. means your life. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the gift of light, life that the light of the world has given us, the Lord Jesus. We thank you.
Holy Spirit, that you indwell us, and we thank you that you are in our midst right now. And I ask you to touch each heart that is here today. May we hear things that we need to hear to help us on this journey called life. Holy Spirit, please do your work within each one of us. Teach us what we don't know. And what you teach us, help us to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. So just an introduction, walking in the light. The light is a metaphor. It is a metaphor for life, a metaphor for salvation. It starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 when Jesus says, let there be light. Or God says, let there be light. Actually, Jesus was the one at the creation. So God says, let there be light. And there was light. And what did the light do? It displaces the darkness. No matter how little light there is, it will displace the darkness. That's a principle that you want to remember. We see all through the Old Testament in Psalms 104 too, is God's light is a garment-like covering. We see God himself is described as light in the Old Testament. We know the Lord Jesus is described as light in the New Testament. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light of life. When you think of light, think life. Light, life. Jesus is the light of the world. Dr. Constable, in his information on this, says this. The point is that Jesus, as a true light, affects everyone. Everyone lives under the spotlight of the illuminating revelation in Jesus Christ since the Incarnation. And that is every person on earth has an intuitive knowledge within them, has the law written in them, has eternity written in their hearts. The heavens declare the glory of God. Know that there's a creator. Jesus has demonstrated himself to everyone, so everyone has some idea that there's something there. His light clarifies the sinfulness and spiritual need of human beings. Those who respond, listen to this, to the convicting revelation positively experience salvation. Those who reject it and turn from the light will end up in outer darkness. They will experience eternal damnation. Now that doesn't happen easily because Jesus comes and God comes and God comes and God comes and God convicts and God draws and he draws and he draws and people say, no, 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 not now. I'll do it on my time. Remember, salvation is of the Lord. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If God is speaking to you at this moment, today is the day. You don't choose it. God chooses it for you. He is the one that draws. He is the one that that orchestrates this whole thing. So walking in the light demonstrates that you have life, that you are genuine. Verse 5, those walking in the light reflect the character of God. This is the message which we have heard from him, the Lord Jesus, and declare to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Absolute, resplendent, holy light. In John chapter 1, verse 4, we were here just just the other day, just last week. In John chapter 1, verse 4, let me just remind you what this says. John 1, 4, in him was life, in the Lord Jesus' life. Remember, only God can give life. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. He's God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Just put your name in there. Bill, Alice, Fred. 
Evelyn, whatever your name. Put you, all of us are sent from God. This man came for a witness to bear witness to the light. That is our job while we are here. That is our assignment while we're here. If you're wondering what you do as a Christian, you are a witness to the light of the Lord Jesus. That is our job. That is what we do. That all through him might believe. He was not that light. John was not the light. We're not the light. The Lord Jesus is, but but was sent to bear witness of that light. And in verse 9, is so overwhelming. If you have never underlined or starred this, this is a star-underlined verse. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Who has access to the light? Every man coming into the world. Every man. All humans are culpable before a holy God. All of us are culpable before a holy God. Now, why do people reject the light? Well, if you happen to be in John chapter 1, turn to John chapter 3, verse 19, and this will give you the answer. It's amazing that the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, in such amazing, a loving kindness, he comes to us, wants us to be part of his family, but people say no. They give him a stiff arm. No. And why do they do that? Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Why don't people come to the light? Because they love their sin. They love their sin. Every person that sins is doing it volitionally. You must never say or never think, it's because of my dad. It's because of my mom. It's because of my brother. It's because of my friend. He got me into this. Oh, no. You got yourself there because you wanted to sin. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. As previously described, God is light, pure holiness. Pure holiness, something we cannot fathom. No darkness at all. That darkness is the word. We've been through this word before. It's skotia, S-K-O-T-I-A, and it means physical and spiritual darkness, the prevailing idea of unhappiness and ruin. That is the state of everyone in the darkness. They do everything they can to not feel the unhappiness and the ruin. You medicate yourself. You do whatever you can and not feel this sensation of the, of the ruin and the, and, the, and the hopelessness of life. But Jesus is there to break into the darkness. Hear the words of Isaiah the prophet. And when he came in contact with the light of God, with the holiness of God, Isaiah chapter 6, he says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. God is always lifted up, always high, sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and with a train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, seraphim, which is a, which is a high-ranking angel. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two covered his face. Two covered his feet. And with two he flew and, 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 and cried to one another. Notice what they say in heaven constantly. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let me submit to you something. John on the island of Patmos, looking into the future, sees the church there. And in seeing the church, he sees us already there, everyone born again. We're there. He's seeing this picture in the future, okay? This is what we are seeing. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, 
glory and honor and power. Who is holy? God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. The angels declare it. All of heaven declares it. The whole earth declares his glory. He is resplendent light. Now, let's ask, let me ask you this question. How can I possibly reflect the character of God? I've already said that God's goal for us is to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, to become more and more Christ-like and less and less like the old us. Okay? How can that possibly happen? Well, A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, says this, God is holy, and he has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Sin's temporary presence in the world only accents this. Whatever is holy is healthy. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. The formation of the language itself suggests this. The English word for holy derived from the Anglo-Saxon helig, hell meaning well-being, whole. Wholeness. God is holy with an absolute holiness that knows no degrees. People that have this casual relationship with God, where they see God in every corner, and they have this chummy relationship, where they like, like he's almost like their buddy and that sort of thing. Oh, no. When, when you come into the presence of a holy God, we cannot stand. We cannot be in his presence. Not in this state. Not in this state. Now, we're covered with the blood of Christ. More on that in just a second. It gives us an advantage. God is holy with an absolute holiness that knows no degrees. And this he cannot impart to his creatures, Tozer says. But there is a relative and contingent holiness which he shares with angels and seraphim in heaven and with the redeemed men on earth as, a, as preparation for heaven. Think about this. This is preparation. You are in school right now learning what it's going to be like to be with God forever. This is prep school. Earth is prep school. Earth is not get as much as I can, have as much fun as I can possibly have, enjoy my life as much as I can. I, I submit to you that your joy will be found in your relationship with the Savior. That is where it will come. He goes on to say, it's preparation for heaven. This holiness can and does impart to his children. Again, this holiness he can and does impart to his children. How? He shares it with them by imputation or impartation or crediting to us because he has made it available to them through the blood of the Lamb. How are we holy? It is only, it is only through the blood of the Lamb. With the blood of the Lamb is applied to us, Father looks at us differently. He looks at us now as he looks at his Son, pure and holy and clean, and we know the theological word for that is Thank you for you three that knew it. Justification. Yes. Justification. How can I reflect the holiness of God? By knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Resplendent light. Holiness. Our God. Now, in John, in, this, in these few verses, you're going to see several tests that are going to help you determine whether you're genuine or not. First John is all about, are you genuine? Are you really saved? Are you really born again? He's going to have three tests right on these few little scriptures here. Test number one of walking in the light, we see in verses 6 and 7. 
If we say we have fellowship with him, oh, and walk in darkness, scotia, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, John is straight up, isn't he? We lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another. Oh, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Let's develop this. Test number one. Are you living in sin? Are you walking in sin? Is that the predominant way of your life? If it is, you have to question yourself. You have to question yourself. Remember, there are people that are professors of believing and of being in the faith, and those who actually possessors of the faith. There are professors and there are possessors. To claim we have fellowship with God, yet walk in sin, we lie and do not practice, do not live by the truth. John does not mince words. Real love will tell you the truth. Real love will tell you the truth. Those living in sin, those practicing sins, lie and do not practice the truth. Now, something that you must know, something that you must know, there's going to be three of them. Number one, many claim to have fellowship with Jesus and don't. They practice sin, are immersed in sin, and justify their sin. That, that's, a, that's a big addition. All of us have struggles, more on that in just a second. But these are folks that justify their sin, and they do not practice the truth. You must know that there are those that exist that way. Secondly, secondly, you must know that Christians can have a besetting sin that they struggle with. Now, if we went through this room and you were stripped bare and everything came out, every one of us would have something that goes, ooh, ooh, didn't know about that dude, ooh, ooh. I mean, everyone has a besetting something. Now, this is the key. This is the key. The key is do not give up and do not give in. You don't say, my mama was this way, and her mama was that way, and oh, my daddy was this way, and my, all my brothers are like this. That's just the way I am. No. No. We are different because we are born again in the family of God. We are different. Do not give in. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. That's the truth. That's the truth. And then number three, those who practice the truth does not mean that you will not slip and fall. Now, remember in our Peter series that we talked about the growth ladder, and his faith uh, leads to virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, perseverance, perseverance. It was a climbing thing. As we yield to the Spirit of God, we are growing in God. But every now and then, we might slip and fall. What do we do when we slip and fall? We pick ourselves up, and we don't just lay in the mud. We pick ourselves up and we start climbing again. We don't give up. It does not mean that you won't slip and fall. No one's walk on this side is perfect. Now, that's the truth. When you fall, you must confess. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So you get up, you get moving forward. Do not get stuck where you are wallowing in your failures. So many people wallow in their failures. I can never make it. 
As soon as you say, I can never make it, that's a lie. That is not coming from God. That is coming from the enemy, or that's coming from your own depraved self. Yes, you can. Why? Because God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Spirit of God says through Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the truth. So you don't want to be immersed, wallowing in your failures, immersed in shame. And the shame is Satan's game, folks. Shame is Satan's game. This feeling, I'm no good. I can never be free. I'm a failure. Wallowing in your defeats, withdrawing from fellowship, sideline, isolated, out of action. That's where Satan wants you. And we say no to that. We're pressing on towards the goal to win the prize, which Christ has called us heavenward in which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus in Philippians 3. That's what we're doing. We're never going to give up. We're never going to quit. So what do we do when we have a problem, when we fall, and every one of us does that routinely? That's what the Scripture is talking about. What do we do? We stop and we confess and never forget. Never, ever in your whole life, if you're not zeroing in on anything in this talk, zero in on this right here. Never forget, God is a God of innumerable do-overs. Now, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he just didn't go to you? Yes, he's very merciful. Fresh starts, start-overs are a specialty. Psalm 103, if you've been with me very long, you know that that is, a, that is like every other week you get to hear this. Well, this is like the 25,000th time. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 14. The Lord is merciful. And gracious. What is mercy? Not getting what I deserve. Grace, getting what I don't deserve. His favor, his favor. He is, watch this, God is slow to anger, abounding in mercy. God doesn't have a hair trigger. He's not ready to squash. He is merciful. He is gracious. But, verse 9, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. There's a day of accountability. If you keep saying no, stiff-arming God, there will be a day of accountability. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. And all I can say is hip, hip, hooray. Thank you, Lord, for that. He mercies us. He graces us over and over and over. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Qualifier. For those, in the, for those who fear him, he mercies. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't see them. As a father pities his children, that word pities is the, is the Hebrew word rakam, and he pities his children. That means to soothe, cherish, love, compassion. Oh, God loves his children. He rakams his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. How often do people think they're such a big deal? I'm so important. I'm so significant. I'm superior to everybody. And he says, God says, he knows our frame, for he knows our frame and he remembers we are dust. The fragility of the human nature, dust. How weak and fallible we are. No man can ever put themselves on a pedestal before a holy God. We are all as dust. Isn't that interesting? Now, we have value, enormous value in Christ Jesus. But in our humanity, we think we're big stuff. We're not. We are not. No way. Lamentations 3.22 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
were not completely ended, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will wait for him. I will wait for him for deliverance. I will wait for him for mercy. I'll wait for him for grace. My God is a gracious, merciful God. Turn to him. Confess your sins. Get yourself back in the game. Get yourself right. Now, John is going to contrast the darkness with the light. And he says this, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, I want you to notice this, we have fellowship with one another. Now, why is fellowship so important? Why is fellowship, so community so important? Koinonia, common life, family so important? Because we need the support of one another going through this thing called life. We need each other. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as some are in the manner of doing, but exhorting one or encourage one another, even more as you see the day approaching. This is talking about the day of the Lord. This is talking about, in context, this is the day of the Lord. Things are not getting better here, contrary to what a lot of people say. It is not getting better. We are not evolving as humans. We are devolving. We're waiting for the king to come to save us from this mess called life. But I want to submit to you, this is talking about the day of the Lord, but we also need encouragement through the darkness of our daily struggles, through the darkness of our daily struggles of life. Galatians 6, 5 says, we all are to bear our own load. We all have a load that we are expected to carry, but oh, sometimes life gets a little heavy, doesn't it? Get you weighed down. You get that little shaky thing going. That's when you need your brother or your sister who has experienced something just like you. You don't go through anything in life for nothing. If you've been through a divorce, you've been through an illness, you've been through losing a job, you've been through whatever, whatever, whatever. Somebody has been through that that can help you, uniquely gifted, to help you through that. And we're to jump on board that. We're going to jump aboard that train and to help one another. Fellowship is absolutely important. It's essential. Test number one, are you living a life of sin? Are you a professor of salvation or a possessor of salvation? That's a good introspective question. Only you can answer that question. Verse 8 and 9, test number two, walking in the light. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Oh, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'll bet you half of you have that memorized, and I hope you do. That is a verse that you put right in your mind, indelibly imprinted. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. Test number two, are we living deceived about our sin? Are we living deceived about our sin? Not such a big deal. That sin's not such a big deal. Are you living deceived about it? If we say we have no sin, then we're being deceived. There are actually people, actually Christians, who, I don't know where, where, they, where they, they must have skipped First John, who think they have reached perfection. We don't sin anymore. Right there, they have sinned. They have sinned right against the Word of God. We don't ever make it perfect here, folks. We're, we're a work in progress. We're a work in progress. Nobody's ever perfect on this side. So if they say they haven't sinned, we say that is hogwash. That is not true. For those who say they have not sinned, I submit this to you, 
Examine your thought life. And I will say, how would you like your thought life posted right in Times Square on that big old overhead? This is what they're thinking right now. Right there. Yeah, your thought life. By your thoughts and actions, you will know that you are not sinless. And I want to suggest something to you. We know that we're not sinless. We are stuck still in this flesh. Now remember, when you get born again of the Spirit, your spirit is redeemed. Your soul, your thoughts, feelings, and emotions are going to go where you feed it. If you are still feeding it from the world, your thought, will, and emotion, it's going to want to go back to the flesh. And your flesh is always, always, your flesh is not redeemed. You're in a fight to the death with the flesh until you die. You realize that. You're never going to conquer that. Well, you can get better. You can have victories over it. But it's always going to be eating at you, always pulling at you, always tugging you. And this is a principle I learned from Watchman Nee. The flesh always wants to take you back to where it was comfortable. See, the flesh isn't comfortable in your new spiritual world. That's why when somebody gets born again, it all seems so strange. Because your flesh has been dominating you. and wants to take you back to the, to the way things were. Take you back to the cesspool that you were taken out of. That's how the flesh works. And that doesn't stop. It does become less intense as you yield to the Spirit. But if the conditions are right, and you get away from God's Word, you get away from prayer, you get away from God's people, and it is easy to go right back into the cesspool. And that's where the flesh is most comfortable. That is where it's most comfortable. So, sinless perfection, no. The false, the false teachers of John's time, the Gnostics, remember they thought that the flesh was nothing, the spirit was everything, and they could do whatever they want with their flesh. Those who are deceived and say we have no sin, those who justify their sin, the truth is not in them. Now, I want to give you a test. A true test of genuineness. Hope you get an A on this. When you sin, and you will, okay, do you sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? If you're genuine, you will. And when you sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the first thing you do is own it. Own it. Don't make up excuses. If that movie wasn't on, I wouldn't have watched that. If that, if that little pot thing wasn't there, I wouldn't have smoked it. If they didn't legalize it, if they didn't legalize it, I would have been okay. Oh, no, you sin because why? Because you want to sin. You want to sin. That's why you do it. You own it. No excuses. Don't whitewash it. Sweep it under the rug. So like David did with Bathsheba, you own it. And what did David say? Against you and you only have I sinned. That's owning it. So own it and then confess it. Confess it. Agree with God that it's sin. Don't whitewash it. And that verse 9, if we confess our sins, that is written in the present tense. You know what that means? That is ongoing confession. Ongoing confession. I go through my day, I'm confess. oh Lord, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry. I'm ongoing. It's in the present tense. It tells us that we, are, that we have plenty of things to confess. Plenty of things to confess. Confess it. Now, I want to submit to you that confession is good. Why is confession good? I think it's good for our health, it's good for our relationships, and it's good for our general life, and it is what will help you to have joy on this side. 
our life can suffer from unconfessed and unrepentant sin. And as much as possible as we as was within us, we must make things right. Confession and repentance requires an action. Let me give an example. If you've wronged someone, if you haven't corrected it, if you have, you know, you, you stole some money from Billy, and now you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, and you go, Lord, I'm sorry that I stole the money from Billy, but the money's still in my pocket. I'm not going to give it back to Billy, but I confessed it. I'm okay. Oh, no, you're not. There must be an action associated with your confession. It's not a matter of simply saying the words. An action is required. If you refuse to act, to make things right, there remains a block between you and God that's called sin. And your joy will be blunted. If there is a block between you and God, there will not be joy in your life. No joy, no peace for you. Unrest and turmoil can affect your health, your relationships, and your life. Confess it. Test number one, are you living a life of sin. Test number two, are you living deceived about your sin, thinking it's okay, it's not so bad? Well, verse 10 gives us test number three of walking in the light. If we say we have not sinned, again, same subject, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Danger, danger, danger. Lost, you could be lost. Test number three, not owning our sin makes God a liar. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. If we deny our sin, we make him a liar. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and we deny it, we are calling God a liar. No matter what a person claims, we are not acceptable to God. If God's word is not in us, meaning the Logos, Jesus, remember John 1.1, 1, 1, the Logos is not in us, the word is not in us, Jesus is not in us. And if we call God a liar, saying my sin really isn't a sin, God doesn't really mind that. Although his word says don't do this, ah, it's not so bad. Yeah. All people, all people are sinners, folks. Apply this to your life. If you deny a particular sin, and say that it's not a sin. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else believes this. We're living in a country that has radically changed in the last 10 years. If you're believing that homosexual marriage is, is, is okay, then you better check the Scripture. You better check the Scripture because it's not okay. Abortion is not okay. Uh, many roads to God are not okay. There's one road. There's all kinds of things that people come up with. They make excuses. Sometimes people say, I'm just not happy. I'm not happy, so I, that gives me license to make myself happy in a sin. Oh, no, that does not give you license. Everyone else is doing it. The majority say it's okay. The government says it's okay, so I can do it. Education. The biggest brainwashing technique in this country is our educational system. Now, that might not, I'm not impugning the teachers and that sort of thing that are Christians. You're in a bad spot. You are in a tough spot. And you are a light in a very dark place. And I know that dance that you have to do in your schools and in your universities and that sort of thing. But people are being indoctrinated to a worldview that is anti-God in the public venue. 
And that's the truth. And the media says it's all okay. Everything's okay. Just whatever you want. Rationalization. I'm good in so many areas. This one little compromise doesn't matter, and God calls it sin. And if you whitewash it, you're calling God a liar. And the truth is not in you. What a dangerous place to be. Again, John is straight up. He is not seeker-friendly. He's not saying what people want to hear. But he's saying what they need to hear, the truth. Make sure the word, the logos, Jesus, is in you, that you're genuine. If a person calls God a liar, whitewashing their sin, the word may not be in you. Danger, danger. could be lost. Do some introspection. Do some introspection. Conclusion. Yes, conclusion. This is it. Walking in the light. Verse 5 says this. Those who walk in the light reflect the character of God. 1 Peter 1.16 says this. Be holy, for I am holy. He doesn't say be holy as I am holy. Big difference. Be holy. Be sanctified. Be set apart unto God, for I am holy. We can never be as holy as God. Now, what does holiness look like? Well, the text has told us today what holiness looks like. Verse 6 and 7, walk in the light, not in the darkness. A life controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by the flesh. Remember, the flesh is going to lead you around like a little hook in the nose. wants its way. Oh, no. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a promise. Verse 8 and 9, own our sin. Confess it. Keep confessing our sin. No excuses. Make things right with God and, if possible, with mankind. It might, it's not always possible to do it with mankind, but if it is, do it. Make things right. And finally, what does holiness look like? That the Word is residing in you. Jesus is in you. You are real. You are saved. And you are living it out for real. You're living it out for real. It all boils down to one thing, folks. It's holiness, which simply means it's hagios, it's a life separated to God. Now, we've been through a lot here. When confronted with the holiness of God, the light of God, contrasted with the darkness, what are Christians to do when you're confronted with the holiness of God? Let me just finish with A.W. Tozer's view on this. When confronted with the holiness of God, what are Christians to do? We must, like Moses, cover ourselves with faith and humility while we steal a quick look at God with whom no man can see and live. The broken and contrite heart he will not despise. We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory passed by. Isn't A.W. Tozer amazing? I mean, this guy can write. He died in 1963. Things he said are so pertinent right to today. We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ like Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. We must take refuge from God, holiness, in God's Son. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in his Son. What do I know of holiness? I know God's Son, Jesus Christ, which is our only hope of holiness. I know his son, Jesus Christ, who makes us holy in the eyes of a holy God. The Holy Spirit allows me in some way to reflect the character of God 
the holiness of God. What do I know of holy? Walking in the light is talking about holiness. What do I know of holy? I know Jesus as my Savior. That's our hope. That's our hope, folks. Let's pray. Our Father, I'm so grateful for the gift of life that the Lord Jesus gives to each one who believes and receives the gift. I thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. I thank you that all he asks of us is to believe that he did it for us. It's personal that you did it for us and receive the free gift of salvation that you offer to humanity. I pray today that if someone here does not know you as their Savior, that this will be the day, the greatest day of their life, when the Spirit of God touched their heart. Let them know that this is all true. It's all true. And believed and received Jesus Christ as Savior. You can do it right now in your chair, wherever you are. If you are a Christian and you have been walking in disobedience to God, and you know that you have not been walking in the light as he is in the light. It's confess your sins. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you do that, your fellowship, your relationship doesn't get destroyed, but your fellowship will be renewed with God. And you can experience the joy of the Lord. Our Father, I ask that you would speak to the hearts of people here today, that you would draw people closer to you. May we get serious about our walk with the Lord Jesus. Our time is short. Things are changing rapidly in this country and in this world. It's all in prep for the Antichrist to come to fruition. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the things of the Spirit. And may we not walk in concert with the world but in concert with you. May we stay deeply ingrained in your word, and may we stay deeply committed to one another in fellowship, encouraging one another, even as we see the day approaching. Thank you, Father, for this time. I pray your blessings on each person that is here that has heard this word, and may we be different because we have heard the word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen.